Thank you for listening to this edition of CDN Media's Solution Spotlight. I'm your host, J.D. Miller, and we have a great podcast for you today. The title for the Solution Spotlight, Your Business is Operating in a Virtual Reality World. Are your cybersecurity defenses prepared? Joining us to dive into this is Mark Sangster, Vice President and Industry Security Strategist for eCentire. Welcome, Mark. Hi. I'm glad to be here today. So first, tell us a little bit about uh, eCentire and, and your role. Yeah, of course. So eCentire is uh, we're the we really defined a category called managed detection and response. And when I you know sort of distill that down, what we're talking about here is protecting our clients on a twenty four by seven basis through our security operations centers. We have very talented, experienced um, security experts who know how to in sort of near real time investigate when they find a potential threat, dig in to determine whether or not it really is something significant and malicious. And when it is, they take action to respond to protect the clients. And the whole point of doing this is to be able to stop these things before they become business disrupting. And for that reason, we work in lots of different and very highly critical industries, things like finance, legal services, healthcare, manufacturing, transportation, and a bunch of others. My role in the company is really to look at, you know, what do we see sort of on the, on the macro level? We're going to talk about some of those things today. Um, and then also within those specific businesses, how do they apply what they're doing today to sort of protect themselves from those risks that are emerging on a larger scale? So let's dive in a little bit because in preparation for this, we, we talked about virtual world. And why do you say we're living in a virtual world today? Yeah, you know, it sort of struck me, right, that, um, you know, we think of virtual reality and that sort of, you know, science fiction-y type of thing, right? It's, but it's not about simulated senses that let us explore alien worlds or let us be, you know, historical figures or, or you know, action people or something like this that we aren't in our, in our normal world. The reality is it's not about living in an avatar. We are the avatar, right? We live in this new normal where I think the three... Um, the three sort of uh, pillars that, that create this world are all virtual, right? So all of our data is in the cloud, right? It doesn't reside anywhere in a physical, you know, within a, within a firewall on our premise anymore. It's virtually scattered throughout the internet. You have distributed workloads. We're capable of diagnosing disease from the other side of the globe. We're capable of running automated manufacturing and mining and so on you know, across the globe from one central headquarters, say in Houston, Texas. And then I think the third piece, and you know, perhaps it's what COVID-19 really forced us into, was the remote workers. Many companies, you know, didn't feel that their business was suitable for having a distributed workforce. But the reality is now it's all distributed, right? The data doesn't reside in our premises. We can control things that aren't within our physical building and our workers aren't there anymore. So it is virtual. So who would you say are the threat actors you see operating today? Yeah, so um, from our security operations center, we, you know, we generate lots of different threat intelligence, threat trends, and so on. And we put these together in, in various annual reports, a general one and ones for specific industries. Um, but when I look at this, we see a growth in organized crime. And we also see a growth in, in nation state or what I call gray zone actors. And the, the reality is many companies look at that and they say, well, you know, we're, we're not a target of them, but, but they are because they are using everything below sort of full on military force to destabilize who they see as their, you know, enemy, or if it's not their enemy, it's their competitor, right? So let's think in traditional terms of the East, right? You know, China and Russia is an example, um, traditionally sort of the communist states versus the West, you know, uh, Europe and, and United States in Canada and so on. Um, and the reality is these guys are well-armed, they are well-funded, 
and they operate like Fortune 500 companies, right? They use commodity, you know, tools and technology where they can. They use more effective systems that are proven, things like Emotet as an example. So, you know, that increases their revenue. They're reducing their operational costs, their time to market. And, you know, you, re you increase revenue, drop costs. That's profit by any Fortune 500 company's definition. I'm curious, do you think right now we're seeing an increase in threat actors or are we just more aware because of the working situation we're in? You know, that's a great point. And I, and I, and I think probably the answer is yes or, or, or both, which is there is certainly a growth, right? I mean, it is, it, it is a, an, a, you know, we see a, a major significant increase. In fact, I think with, uh, with, you know, since January 2020 with COVID, right, we've seen about a 230% spike in things like ransomware and, you know, fraudulent wire transfers and so on that were all kind of linked to lures around, you know, the coronavirus and quarantines and so on. But what I do see that, that is growing in, in I think is where we really want to focus is things like hands-on keyboard attacks. So these are the major ransomware outages that we see that lead to like seven-figure extortion fees, right? The, you know, TravelX, for example, at the beginning of the year is a good example. So this isn't a, you know, a smash and grab. This is a, they're, they're invested. They're willing to work slowly inside the, your, your environment or your business. They deploy ransomware throughout everything, including the backups, and then they detonate when they have you. And in doing so, they know now we're not talking about a $500 Bitcoin um, you know, payment. We're now talking about a $5 million um, equivalent, $5 million payment. They live off the land. That's another big trend I see, which is effectively using your own tools against you. So remote administrative tools, the things that are embedded in your operating systems, right? Microsoft uh, remote desktop protocol or PowerShell and so on. And, and so they look like you. It's effectively, they take your backstage pass to get behind the concert. And once they're in, they look and smell like you. It's hard for a lot of the de uh, defenses to detect you. And beyond that, they do what I call cultural engineering. And I think that's the next evolution of social engineering which is you know understanding what an industry looks like operating like an insider so that they can target those high value actors so an example of this would be a criminal organization that posed as a law student from a well-known legal school um, and was befriending managing partners as a, looking for a mentor as part of a program that was in this academic system that they were working through and uh, of course in the end you know once they had done this and established a relationship they flipped them a document that says uh, you know as part of my course you know completion could you please fill out this form and send it back because I need to send it to my prof as proof that I did this work. And of course, that, you know, was a weaponized document which launched malware and so on and it went from there. But it shows that they understand how those businesses operate. So what would you say are the most prevalent attacks right now? You know, I think right now the, uh, the, the things that we see are um, ransomware, as an example, is, yep. is big. And as I said, ransomware is now expanded to be a sort of a cross-the-company attack. It's not an individual node. It's not one laptop or one server. Um, fraudulent wire transfer is still huge. So business email compromise, as the FBI calls it, right? That's the, it looks like it's coming from your boss or a senior executive in the company ordering a junior employee to um, transfer funds. Those two have grown significantly. In fact, there's a lot of insurance data out there now. Now that shows that um, claims are being made. As I said, it was about a 230% increase since the beginning of this year for those two. And those are the big ones. And then the last one, as I said, is the, was the harder one to define 
is the living off the land. That's where they, they don't use malware. They effectively fish your credentials. Then they use your own systems. You know, they log in through your VPN because you've shared your passwords. They log in through your remote access tools. Um, and then from there, they can move around laterally. They create their own accounts. Those are the most dangerous. And I think those are the ones that they said, the hands-on keyboard, where it's a, an invested attack, not a smash and grab, are the ones that are far more costly and lead to those massive operational disruptions. It, it, what's fascinating to me is, you know, with all the data breach headlines, companies, mm -hmm. they're still falling victim. Why are they falling victim still? You know, it's funny. I, um, so in my, um, I have a book coming out in the fall called No Safe Harbor, and I talk about how I feel like as we're training these companies and doing cyber, you know, cybersecurity awareness training, that it's like I'm taking them one time, you know, uh, uh, one at a time into the kitchen to touch the stove to work out that it's hot and they shouldn't do that. But the people <laughs> waiting in line outside in the hall don't actually see what happens, so no one can learn vicariously. I think the problem is we see a focus on major brands and the headlines, right? So, you know, the Marriott's and the Travel X's and the Capital Ones of the world they, you know, they garner the press coverage and the small to medium sized firms are actually the ones that suffer most of the attacks in the majority and they suffer in silence, right? And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that they don't see themselves as targets. Um, and the way I put this, especially when I, you know, when I'm speaking to executives and board members is that, you know, ignorance is not bliss, it's now negligence, right? And unfortunately, a lot of the times when these things happen, they shift to a blame the human, right? Who didn't update that server? Who shared their credentials? Who had a weak password? Um, and in doing that, it's easy to do that. And, and certainly humans play a, a, you know, they're a, a critical factor in the, in the, um, in the, the chain, but it, we miss the real story, right? We don't understand what the systemic issues are. So we constantly repeat this, you know, lather, rinse, repeat sort of cycle of, of data breaches. So what's the biggest challenge then in business today? Uh, to identify risk. It, it, it seems like it's a moving target. What's their biggest challenge? Yeah, so one is I think it's sort of a, we need to change the conversation. So, you know, um, cybersecurity is seen as an IT problem or an IT budget to, you know, to manage or, uh, you know, a sort of an inconvenience that we have to tolerate, right? A necessary evil, I hear that a lot. Um, but it's not, it's a business risk. There are fiduciary responsibilities, right? And we see that now through insurance claims, through legal class action suits, drops in, um, in corporate value, right? Uh, enterprise value on a, on a, you know, publicly traded companies, et cetera. And I think the real problem or the, 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 the barrier that we face right now is communication. The, the technical people, the chief security officer being able to translate the ones and zeros into the dollars and cents that the board is used to thinking in, right? And we lack that kind of Rosetta stone that allows us to do it. So often they, they speak at odds or the CSO doesn't have a, a, you know, a seat at that table. So those issues never kind of bubble up until it's too late when there has been a significant security incident. So how can you communicate risk? You know, because that, that's, you gotta speak the same language uh, within your organization and uh, get everybody's buy-in. So how do you communicate? How can that uh, CISO really have that voice? Yeah, so I think this is, as I said, it's getting above the ones and zeros. So stop talking about port scans and stop talking about small events that have occurred. Look at things like, you know, where do you stand with regulatory compliances? Where did you have um, near misses? In, in, you know, when it comes to things like that. Um, when you did have an event, what was your, you know, your mean time to response? and remain time to remediation. What did it cost? So what I look at, for example, you know, some of these attacks that we've seen on say healthcare law firms, <clears throat> those are very easy to quantify because I can say you charge out, you know, that attorney charges $500 on average an hour. That doctor is charged out at $500 an hour. So for, you know, every day they're down, that's $4,000 of lost revenue. And of course it's more costly than that when we look at, you know, um, 
remediation IT over time and so on, right? You can, so you can, you can start to think of it in those terms. Also pulling, um, you know, pulling um, news events and becoming the thought leader, right? So not, you know, I see, I hear this all the time where it's like, well, my boss read something in the New York Times today and he wants to know if we're, you know, are we secured from X threat? You know, it's, it's, it's getting out of that sort of responsive nature and moving to a proactive nature. So being the thought leader, looking at what the trends are occurring, looking at some of the court cases that are happening and what the findings are and the judge's rulings, like in Capital One, where, you know, um, the, in the lawsuit, they have to expose now and turn over the Mandian incident response report, which is effectively, you know, going to be the treasure map that says exactly what went on and what worked and what didn't. Um, and you can imagine how damaging that would be. So they really have to understand what that is. So it's almost becoming a business expert, less than a security expert. And, uh, but I, I think the first step is, uh, you know, you need a seat at the table, right? You have to justify that because, you know, a lot of companies still operate, with, you know, in the notion of, you know, the chief security officer is the least interesting person to the board until they become the most interesting person to the board, which is always after a breach. And by then it's too late. And the old adage, never waste a breach, right? You, you need to learn from each one of these and teach the, the, the entire company and staff. And you talked about having that seat at the table. Um, are you hearing from security executives out there that instead of like a hey, monthly or quarterly report, they're in constant communication now. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point. So you are going to have that kind of regular cadence. So things like, you know, annual budget assessments, as an example. Quarterly reportings, which is, you know, in my mind, that's a more of a status maintenance kind of, kind of effort. But doing the, the near real time, the ad hoc as required types of events. So as I said, when a major breach occurs, like Twitter would be a good example. Determining, you know, as far as we can, what were the root causes? What are the implications for our business? What learning can you get from this? So for example, Mr. You know, senior executive, perhaps you shouldn't comment on political issues because in doing so, you may you know, make a bull, you know, put a, paint a bullseye on your own chest. You not only are taking on a personal risk, you're taking on a risk to the business, right? So you're increasing our threat profile. Is this really worth it, right? So thinking about their obligations as a corporate citizen as well. So being able to do that on a, as you say, like on a more or, um, as needed um, basis rather than this sort of like, well, once a quarter, I have to pull some charts that nobody's going to read and ends up in the appendix of a board package. Looking, I, okay, I'm going to give you a crystal ball. Looking into the future, how can businesses better protect themselves? So if I go right back to the beginning, we talk about, you know, virtual reality and, you know, obviously we can, we can debate that. Um, I think it's getting over those old, old models. So the first thing is on the business level, you know, it's business risk, start managing it like business risk, like anything else you would, losing certain clients. What if there was a regulatory change? What if you could no longer operate in a certain, you know, domain or region and you had to move? What would all those things look like? It's the same notion now. So treat it like that, but also consider breaking the mold that we see, that sort of tired old model in cybersecurity, which is this, you know, medieval kind of view of perimeters, right? You know, um, I have a bank. And that bank building has guards at the front door and it's only open so many hours and there's a vault and the vault has a combination and, you know, only a few people know the code and it only opens certain hours of the day and that's where my money's protected. Well, you can't do that in a virtual world because there is no brick and mortar bank building. There is no vault and that money is scattered around the world, right? It's sort of like a blockchain notion of it. So th start thinking blockchain in that way um, and think about the fact that really what you were trying to protect were the assets, the cash. So if I have $10 in my house and you have $10 in your house, we have to figure out how to secure those little points, not 
some centralized world. So we really have to switch from this. I can build a wall and a barrier and lock my doors because the reality is, you, you know, we've been doing that now for decades and criminals are still outpacing us and still doing a better job. So, you know, I think move less from a, a perimeter prevention uh, model and a way of thinking to more of a, a responsive model, which says, I know they're going to get in, but when they do, you know, I'm standing guard at this vault and I'm, you know, I'm ready to respond and, and kick them out because, you know, ultimately they're going to get there. So, so you say, stop, stop thinking about the bank building. That's not what you're protecting. You're actually protecting the money or whatever, you know, your equivalent form of assets is. It's a unique take. So are there resources to help board members and CSOs communicate? There are. So um, there's, there's, there's two that I use on a regular basis in, in um, some of the training and work that we do. So the National Association of Corporate Directors, the NACD, um, they have a cyber risk handbook as part of their director series. It's about 50 pages long and it does a very good job of sort of talking about their obligations. Um, so it's an easy kind of, you know, an easy read. And in fact, they actually offer a, a course, which I would highly recommend. I've taken it. It's a certification in cybersecurity. It's, you know, I think 16 hours of online learning, but in the end they have this excellent, um, uh, mock incident response event and they have, you know, a general counsel, a CEO, an HR rep, a, a law enforcement person, and they walk through this scenario and it really helps them as a board member understand what that would look like or as a senior executive. And then also, now this is from uh, the UK, but the National Cybersecurity Center, um, which is their kind of public arm of their intelligence agencies, um, they have a cyber board um, or a board uh, cyber toolkit, which again does the same um, the same thing. And it, it, I think it has 10 points in there, which do a really good job. And of course, as I said, you know, I have to shamelessly plug this, but my book, No Safe Harbor, my book coming out in October, um, I take a lot of these things and I combine them and just distill them down in the words and the voice of a senior executive as to, you know, here's what this changing world means to you. Um, and yeah, I know you're not a major bank. You're a small manufacturer in the Midwest, um, but here's what your obligations look like and here's how you can protect your business. Interesting you put it that way too, because I, I think with uh, security executives out there, you need to take it to the, the mission, the vision, uh, the, the business you know, standpoint to get the point across of the importance. And I think people challenge, have a challenge with that right now, don't you think? Um, yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I think we're still, um, unfortunately, as I said, we're laboring under this. Well, it's not going to happen to me. It happened to somebody else. We're too small. We're in some place. It doesn't matter. Our, you know, the nature of our business isn't something that would attract, you know, attention of cyber criminals or some nation state as an example. Um, and that's just, as I said, that's just a fallacy. So until we, you know, until we get enough of an executive level awareness to understand that this is a legitimate threat, um, that there are legitimate consequences that they will be responsible for. As I said, you know, a drop in the enterprise value, lost revenue, operational disruptions, reputational damage, and so on, until they start seeing it as a risk, um, I don't think this is going to change, right? And criminals know that. So, you know, they'll keep pounding away as long as they can to turn a profit. Wow. So what resources does eCentire offer to help businesses defend against sophisticated cyber attacks? Yeah, so as I said, you know, we put out these, these threat reports on a quarterly basis. We do industry ones, we do an annual summation, but we also do some rapid response. So when I was talking about the CSO, for example, and saying, hey, you got to be able to, you know, you know, run with the news cycle, um, we do the same thing. So, you know, I would say to, you know, anyone visit our website, eCentire.com and go to our COVID-19 resources page. It's right off the homepage and we'll show you what we're doing, where we're tracking, you know, the events, the attacks, the phishing campaigns and so on. We're doing that in real time. 
we're posting that telemetry. And as things occur, we're providing guidances. Like we've seen an attack, you know, using this, this tool or technology. So here's what you do um, to, to stop that. We're seeing, you know, Zoom bombing is an example. Well, here's how you can prevent that and so on and, and stepping them through in real time. And it's a constantly, it's a growing asset library that we're using. And it's basic, you know, to be honest, it's it's coming from our our, our, our client questions, right? They're, they're the inquiries we're getting through our security operations, our sales teams. So we're making sure we distribute that publicly. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Mark, for joining us today. The moving target of cybersecurity is, is getting more of a spotlight than ever before. And, you know, partners like eCentire are, are really uh, making sense of what's going on out there. Visit eCentire.com to learn more. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening to CDM Media's Solution Spotlight. Thanks again, Mark. Oh, you're very welcome.